Hello, everyone. As Justin said, I'm Josh Flambright, and I'd like to thank you for being here today. Um, my family picture, there they are. So this is my family. Uh, Nicole is my lovely wife who puts up with all of my insanity and my overly social nature. And that's our little daughter, Laura. We love her to pieces. Um, she's quite amazing, if I do say so myself. Uh, we've been married for about 12 years now, and we've been in Milan for nine of those years. We've been going to Fieldstone for about one and a half years, as Justin said. Um, you might have seen Nicole playing keys, or you might have seen Laura running around or playing back in the nursery. And if you're one of those people who have spent time with her in the nursery, I want to say thank you, specifically because you allow us to serve and worship in a way that we wouldn't be able to without your help, without your service. So thank you from both Nicole and I for ministering to our daughter that way. Uh, this is my first time saying, uh, in a while. <laughs> you might be thinking this is great, but why on earth should I listen to you? Well, basically, it's because Justin said so. But actually, as Justin said, I've been on my journey towards becoming a pastor for a while now. I always thought it'd be a tech pastor or something like that, something not up here. God took that in a very different direction a few years ago when I felt the call to plant churches. And that's why Dundee's up there. That's where we feel called to plant. Now, we're very, very early on that planting journey. So we'd appreciate your prayers, but that, that's all we're asking for right now is prayers. I'd appreciate you to specifically pray for Nicole because she has to deal with me on that planting journey. And if any of you have spent time around me, you know that is an enduring thing to have to do. <laughs> but all of that led us here. It led me to get to know Justin. It led us to come to Fieldstone that common heart to want to see communities changed. That's why we're here today. But now to your regularly scheduled program. See, an insanity plea is, often refers to a legal defense, but not this time. This time, it's a plea from God, found all throughout Scripture, and it is his plea for his children and his church to be restored to their purpose, to look as much like Christ as possible. It is his plea for us to stop living our lives according to what the world says is right and wrong. It is his plea for us to stop the insanity. Albert Einstein defines insanity as this. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And that's the problem. We've become the living definition of spiritual insanity. We keep doing things the world's way, both as individuals and as the greater church, and we're surprised at the results. We're surprised when people call the church judging and hypocritical. We're surprised when people have a hard time trusting Christians. We're surprised when people say they don't need God. You might think I'm exaggerating here, but here's the difference. The world's way can be defined by a few statements. I'm going to get mine. 
Everyone else is on their own. What do I get out of this? If it feels good, do it. But you can sum it up with this. I'm going to build my kingdom. That is the world's way. Versus his way. I'm going to put others ahead of myself. What can I contribute to this? If it glorifies God, do it. Or to sum it up, I'm going to build thy kingdom, Lord. See, J.D. Greer has a quote that's very much in line with this. It's, my kingdom versus thy kingdom. That's the difference in a nutshell. See, I routinely have to fight against taking on too much. I'll justify taking on one more thing after one more thing, and eventually I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off with all the wrong priorities. I used to do this all the time in ministry. Sure, I can make that graphic. Yeah, I can teach that class next weekend. I could do one meeting quick after service. And it would go on and on. I had all the good church reasons for doing all this. But I lost sight of God's priorities. My personal relationship with God, it was in shambles. I barely had time for meaningful prayer, let alone reading his word. This happened very early in our relationship when Nicole and I were married. And as newlyweds, she barely had time with me. Maybe we would watch like one or two TV shows, but that's not how you build a marriage. I was too busy staying up all night working on this or that for church. And our families never got to see us. There were always these excuses where it's like, oh, Josh volunteered to do this, or we're, we're too busy doing that. We were non-existent to both of our families for a long time. But the worst of all this is I had no Sabbath. I had no day of rest. No day or time of leaning into God and letting him pour into me. And even after countless mentors saw this in me and I worked on this on this issue through my own strength, my own methods, it took a concussion. And frankly, it took Justin telling me, you're not allowed to serve for six months when you come here to get me to slow down, to get me to get my priorities straight. Looking back, I thank God for both of those things. During those years, I was pretty much just going through the motions and wondering why I wasn't seeing God move in my life or through my efforts. It was incredibly depressing and aggravating, but I was stuck in an insanity cycle over and over again. I was caught up in the busyness of life and defining myself by what I could put out instead of what God was trying to pour into me. How about you? How do you struggle with the choice to live God's way or the world's way. Maybe, maybe it's your political beliefs versus God's call to love everyone. Maybe it's your financial goals versus God's call to stewardship and selfless giving. 
Maybe it's your desire not to be alone versus God's call to his standards for love and for marriage. Or here's the big one. Everybody's guilty of this at some point in their life. Your need to compare yourself to others versus God's call to be content in him and what he provides. See, God keeps saying the same thing. We just had a whole series on this, and yet God still has more to say about how to live our lives. Essentially, it's the world's way is death, and God's way is life. Romans 5.12 makes this very clear just to get started. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sin brought death. So death spread to everyone. Yeah, everyone. For everyone sinned. Matthew reiterates this. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, or in the Greek, the road that leads to destruction, is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. Pay attention to this last part here. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. They're not saying it's like a four-lane freeway with extra wide shoulders. We're talking like a backwoods Michigan road in the middle of winter with full of potholes and two ditches on the side. You have to do everything you can to stay on the road. And on top of that, only a few ever find it. But the kicker is, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of, eternal, or the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So after all that, he hits it again. It's death or life. You are dead or alive. Those are the only options. We are spiritually dead before we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. When we accept Christ, he raises us out of that death and into true life within him. That's what baptism symbolizes. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to forgiveness for our sins and the only way to everlasting life. But the question is, what is your relationship with God today? If you know Christ, remember, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ask yourself honestly, does my life look like a living sacrifice to God? It actually reminds me of that last song. Living in remembrance, right? Then, ask yourself, who or what would someone say is my master? You could ask these two questions of yourself for the rest of your life, and you would probably be in very good shape. But God is asking us, he is begging us to take it a step further. He wants to, to seek out 
him, to seek out God actively. Set aside time for studying God's word. Make your prayer life a priority. So when you're budgeting out your time, budget out slots for both of those things first. Join a small group. That's one of the reasons why we say get small here. You need to find a group of people that can hold you accountable, that you can fellowship and grow with and be with. Or find someone. This is one of my favorite things. Find someone or find a book that challenges you to take your faith further. Now on the screen there are going to be three suggestions or maybe that got taken out. Oh, there they are. Perfect. Um, Dangerous Prayers by Craig Rochelle. Justin actually did a sermon on this a few months ago, right before we went outside. If you want to know if you're going to like this book, go watch that sermon, and it will give you a really good idea. But it will push you. Not a Fan by Kyle Eidemann is one of my favorites. It changed the way I look at life and ministry. And the same can be said for Radical by David Platt. All three of these books will challenge you if you approach them honestly and with an open mind and a prayerful heart. But if you don't know Christ, consider this. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. See, only Christ can give you unconditional love, unending mercy, peace, contentment, and satisfaction that comes from him, not your circumstances. Only Christ can give you freedom. Freedom from sin and death. Freedom to truly live life. See, he's giving that away to anyone who will receive it. You just have to humble yourself as a sinner before God and ask him to come into your life and transform it. You're not going to get that offer from the world. But whatever camp you're in, before we leave service today, you're going to have an opportunity to change your relationship with God. Until then, please consider these questions. Is the world's way of living life doing it for me? Does it even work? Even if it sometimes is, if, even if it sometimes is working for you, am I satisfied with that? Am I satisfied with sometimes? And you know what? Why am I still doing life this way? The same way. Am I content with living in cycles of insanity? But in the end, what's stopping me? What's stopping me from accepting Christ's sacrifice? Or what's stopping me from recommitting myself to living a life according to God? It's really simple, folks. Justin actually told us the key right a few weeks ago. You can do it your way, but God's way is better. It's funny. In that sermon, I saw him put that up there, and I had literally just wrote that in my notes, and it blew my mind. Because this is the key. But if you still need proof, Scripture provides a lot of examples of what happens 
when humans decide to do things our own way. Abraham's a good example. Uh, God had promised Abraham not just a descendant, but a countless lineage that would bless the world, right? But he got impatient. His wife got even more impatient, and they decided not to wait on God's timing. As a result, Ishmael was born, and you know what? His descendants were the permanent enemy of Israel. All because he couldn't be patient on God's timing. He had to do it his own way. Moses. Moses is in the hall of faith in Hebrews. See, God had previously allowed Moses to produce water from a stone by striking it with his staff. But this time, this time God told him to speak to the stone. Well, Moses got fed up with the complaining and the annoying way the Israelites were never content. So he got angry. He lost his temper. And he did things his own way. He hit the stone. But because of that choice to do things his own way, he had to settle with seeing the promised land from the top of a mountain and never entering it. Because he did it his own way. Or maybe it's the high priest that will do it for you. The high priests, they took something beautiful and they corrupted it. See, the temple was meant to be a house of worship and prayer. But by Jesus' time, the family of the high priest, the family of Ananias, had commanded and controlled these corrupt markets that were on the temple grounds. They quite literally turned their church into a business. It kind of sounds like some of the churches that we see today. With pastors who operate more like CEOs instead of shepherds. More concerned on the bottom line than on the Great Commission. More attention paid towards branding and marketing than the gospel. And you know what? When Jesus saw this, he was so disgusted, he was so furious that he flipped tables, he made a whip, and he drove out the merchants. All because the high priest chose to do things their own way. Now, you might be thinking, whoa, Josh. I know, this is a lot to unpack. But let's distill this down into something you can use. Something we can live out for ourselves and the church. The first thing you need to remember here is take the relationship seriously. Each one of us have to take the relationship seriously. In Revelations, we see the importance of this. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, God doesn't want you to ride the middle of the line. He doesn't want you living a balancing act. He doesn't want you going from the world's way to his way to something in between and back and forth and back and forth. He wants you to make a choice. He wants you all in. You must choose. In the end, you're the only one who can get yourself out of these insanity cycles. You're the only one who can decide to live like Christ. 
But now for the big picture. How do we do this together as a church? Well, there are three habits we need to have as a church. The first, we must be real. We must be one. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. The second, we must always be in love with God's word. David makes this very clear. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your decrees. I will walk in freedom, for I have devoted myself to your commandments. I will speak to kings about your laws, and I will not be ashamed. David is saying his love for God's word, his love for God's law, gives him the confidence and the boldness to stand before kings, meditating on it, dwelling in it, and devoting himself to it, gives him the freedom to truly live his life. Maybe Martin Lonnie Jones will put it in a way that hits you a little bit better. The church is always to be under the word. She must be. We must keep her there. You must not assume that because the church started correctly, she will continue so. She did not do so in the New Testament times. She has not done so since. Without being constantly reformed by the word, the church becomes something very different. See, the moment we as a body of believers stop actively pursuing a relationship with God's word, we start pursuing relationships we don't belong being in. And that weakens the church. We're blessed with pastors who are passionate and committed to sharing God's word authentically and honestly. They don't pull punches or sell you false goods. And we should be grateful to God for that blessing. But we're in this together. It's not just their responsibility. It's our responsibility as co-laborers in Christ. Again, get into small groups. Pursue God's word together. If you hear something in a sermon, a devotional, or whatever that you're not quite sure about scripturally, ask them about it. Dig into God's word for yourself. Seek out a more mature brother or sister in Christ who can give you a sanity check. But most importantly, encourage one another to fall in love and stay in love with God's word. But the third habit, we must stand out. I'm going back to Martin Lloyd-Jones for a win. The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. That's it in a nutshell. We should look as little like the world as possible and as much as God, like God as we can. 
See, the world is unreliable, volatile, hateful, deceptive, and, and hopeless. But God, he's faithful, constant, merciful, loving, truthful, and life-giving. And the way we do this, the way we stand out is just like we discussed previously. We hold ourselves as a church up to scripture and we ask, do we look like Christ and are we fulfilling his mission? Now this is for all my fellow Princess Bride lovers out there. If you don't know this movie, please ask nicely of your parents or somebody who's lived in the 80s. It's a great movie. It's fantastic. Um, but I'm going to save you guys some time. We've covered a lot of ground, and I'm not going to make you suffer through some acronym or long-winded explanation. I'm just going to sum up everything into one concept and three keys to unlock that concept. So hold on to this. See, the concept here is we must end the insanity and live differently. But how do we do that? Well, first, we love as Christ loved. We love those who are overlooked and marginalized. We love those who we don't agree with. We love those who are the most difficult to love. John 13, 34 through 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We must love. Second, we live as Christ lived. We live to serve, honor, and bless God. We live to lift up others above ourselves. We live to bring hope and life to those who have none. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Remember my struggle with busyness, with having the wrong priorities? Well, let me tell you a little bit about how God has changed me since then. See, Nicole and I had an appointment with someone, and they were running crazy late. We were already on the freeway. We got a call. Hey, could you come in about 15 or 20 minutes late? We've already left. So we get there. We're sitting in the back room waiting for the person, and now we're like 30, 45 minutes late. We looked at each other, and we decided... We leave if this person did not show up soon. Because we still had our whole work days ahead of us. But there was a bigger choice to make. See, we could do things the world's way, like recording a video about how upset we were at the service, put it on TikTok. Or we could ask to talk to the manager and you know, get a refund because time is money. Or we could show the unconditional love 
and mercy of Christ. See, in that moment, we heard the front door open. And we heard the voice of a woman who was struggling. From that back room, we heard her say, I had no clue picking up her ashes would be so hard. Nicole and I looked at each other, and we knew God was doing something. But here's the thing. If we hadn't been patient, we would have missed out. We would have missed out that what God was about to do. She walked in, and you could tell she was barely holding herself together. You could tell she had been crying those big, ugly tears. And she immediately, with her trembling voice, started apologizing and begging for forgiveness and just trying to get the meeting going. But I reached out, and I slowly put up my hand, and I said, I need you to pause for a moment. We overheard you. And I see you have a cross necklace. Would you like to pray with us? I stepped out, and I took a leap of faith. A cross necklace doesn't mean somebody's a believer in Christ. But this woman needed love. And as a result of taking that leap, I have never seen someone pull up a chair and grab two strangers' hands so quickly and so hard. And we prayed with her. And at the end of the meeting, when we were saying our goodbyes, she gave us two of the biggest, warmest hugs I've ever had. Later on, I actually found out she got to use that moment to witness to one of her coworkers. And then she assured me she was going to share it with all of her choir mates that night at practice. But we almost missed out on that. If we weren't more patient with God, we were going to miss out. See, that leads us to the next key. We change the world. One soul at a time, one family tree at a time, one community at a time. In closing, God is challenging us to do life his way. He begs us to end the insanity. So as you leave today, remember, if you want heavenly outcomes, if we want heavenly outcomes, we have to stop doing things the world's way. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Earlier in the sermon, I said that you would have the opportunity to change your relationship with God. And today, if you're a Christian who feels that they need to recommit to living life God's way, I just want you to take a moment and lift up your hand and pray with me. Lord, I have done things the world's way for far too long. And I keep doing it. I'm done with it. Please, 
Help me to recommit my life to you, to living out a life in worship and sacrifice to you. You are my God. Now, if you're one of those people who don't know Christ, I'm going to ask you, if you want that relationship with him, put up your hand. If you want a personal relationship with God, it's an amazing choice to make. And just pray with me this. God, I'm done living life on my own. I know that I have sinned. I know that I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I want to live my life for you, to be defined by your grace and your mercy and your love. Please, Lord, come into my life today. God, for everybody here who's made a decision to change their relationship with you, whether they started one today or they're recommitting, I ask you to please bless them and help all of us around them to encourage them, to love on them, and to be a resource that helps them stay in tune and leaning into you. We thank you, Lord, and we ask you to hold on to this message. Hold on to your word and to your plea for us to stop the insanity. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In your son's precious name.